to your health. Uh, do keep that open as ever. It will help you as we uh, go through. And let me just pray again as before we come to look at it together. Father, these are wonderful, wonderful words. Have so much to teach us. Please, would you give us ears to hear, and then would you give us mouths and lives that respond? Please, would you show us Jesus so clearly? Though these words were written a thousand years before he, he came, please show us him. We ask in his name. Amen. Suffering can be just as painful and confusing and lonely for Christians as it is for, for anyone else. Yet we sang in our first song this morning, Man of Sorrows. We read that that came from a verse in Isaiah, Man of Sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus suffered. What difference does it make, as Jun teed up for us, what difference does it make that Jesus suffered? What difference does that make to our suffering? And that's what Psalm 22 shows us, and it shows us it makes a big difference. Because we are going to see Jesus suffering in it. Now, yes, if you see from the title of this psalm, this is a psalm of David. And so to some degree, most likely, this was based on his experience. And God's people through the Old Testament times would have used this psalm to, for their own prayers in times of suffering and difficulty. And as we've seen through this series, I'm encouraging us to learn not only from these psalms, but to learn uh, not only to learn from the lament of these psalms, but learn how to lament. These words can be our words in times of suffering. And yet most supremely, this is Jesus' song. You see, the events we see described here go beyond anything that David experienced himself. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he spoke of things of the future. He spoke of Jesus' death and resurrection. John pointed it out, and well done, everyone. It was fairly positive. Lots of people knew that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 1, spoken by Jesus on the cross. And numerous times throughout, we're pointed to the fact that this, Psalm 22, is a window into the suffering of Jesus. What difference does it make that Jesus suffered? What difference does that make to our suffering? That's what we'll really be covering in the second half um, of uh, the talk, as you see from your handout there. But for the first half, let's again see the suffering of these people, uh, of David first and foremost. And our first point on the the handouts there is when suffering is met with silence. Because what we find again in this psalm is the internal wrestling of a suffering saint whose cries are met with silence. It it swings back uh, back and forth between hope and despair. But we start in despair, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my gods. Uh, the, God, the word for God there is the one, the, the transcendent, powerful God. But he's not just this thing out there. He is my God, my God. And yet he feels forsaken. Why are you so far from saving me? 
from the words of my groaning. And the question is implied in verse 2, O God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. What's going on, Lord? He feels abandoned by God. God's familiar protective presence has been removed. And he's crying out, and yet these cries are met by seeming silence. Seemingly met by silence. And isn't this the real horror for God's people? Not just things going badly in their life, but of feeling separated from God. But as I said, this is an internal wrestling. So, so David doesn't, as it were, take this lying down. He does the right thing. He, he cries out to God, and then he remembers God and his faithfulness in the past. See how verse 3 begins. Yet you... Yet you, this transition, and and he focuses firstly on the character of God. Verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is holy, otherly, separate to anyone and anything else. And then he focuses on what what God has done in the past. Verse 4, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Again and again we've seen, haven't we, in this series, thinking back to God's faithfulness in the past. So maybe he was thinking back to Exodus, Exodus 2, where we read, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew and he brought them out. Or maybe think about to the time of the judges. If you're familiar with that book, time and again, God's people rebelled, sinned, got themselves in an almighty mess and they cried out to God and God sent them a judge to deliver them. That's the pattern right through the Old Testament. Because people crying out, trusting in him, and he delivered them. And David thinks back to those times. But actually, as he's thinking about God's dealings in the past with his people, again, it heightens his confusion with the now. Again, see verse 6. But I, so we now switch back to him as an individual. And you see how he describes himself in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. <coughs> worm, he head out to your garden, dig a little bit. It's kind of almost the lowest form of life. That's what David feels like. And he's mocked. And the particular focus of, his, of their mockery and their taunts is the fact that he seemingly trusts God. See verse 8. He that is, David, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him, for David delights in him. See, God's people of old, they trusted in God, and he, deli- and he delivered them. David is trusting in the Lord, and he just gets mocked for it. That being laughed, that hurts, doesn't it? If for school children, it's almost like the, the worst thing thing you want to avoid above all else being laughed at. There's something deeply hurtful about being laughed at. But being laughed at because of our God is truly painful. That's what David's experiencing. 
But again, see how verse 9 begins. Yet you. We see this, I, yet you, I, yet you. Exactly the same as verse 3. And this time the remembering is personal. He remembers that God has brought him safely into this world. And how from infancy, as far as he could remember, God has helped him to trust in him. He thinks back to his own experience of his years of God's faithfulness and entrusting in him. And so with that history of trust, he once again calls out to God. Verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. God feels far. God feels far, and trouble is near, and there is no one else around helping him. Lord, be not far from me. Come and be with me. Would I know your presence with me and your help? But again, the wrestling goes on. So God is far, but as you said, trouble is near, and David is surrounded by vicious enemies. So we've just seen that David describes himself as a worm, that mighty creature, a worm. And yet, now that his enemies are described in turn as bulls, lions, and dogs. Bulls, lions, and dogs that are seeking to trample him and devour him. I went to the zoo yesterday, and there was something thrilling about seeing those powerful animals that could tear you apart, thankfully separated by very thick glass or a ditch and a fence. But David didn't have that. No, these enemies were surrounding him, were near to him. The bulls trying to trample the lions and dogs to devour him. And so, verse 14, his heart is melting like wax. Verse 15, his strength is dried up. He feels completely done. For one final time, we swing to hope. See the beginning of verse 19. Don't know why the ESV have translated this differently, but you, it's the same thing, isn't it? But yet you, so exactly the same thing. Yet you, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. He cries out again, remembering that past, and he cries out, and he builds on that request of verse 11. And, and, and as his enemies were described as bull, lion, dog, well here he, he asked for deliverance from the dog, the lion, and the bull, or in fact the oxen. It's the same kind of thing. Have, have a look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. See, having remembered God's faithfulness in the past and his saving, God's saving work in the past for those who trust him, and remembering God's kindness to him, he calls out confidently for God to rescue. And why do I say confidently? Well, I don't know if you spotted it as it's been read there. It's come a couple of times. The last half of verse 21, the last half of the final verse of this section, 
Do you notice how the tense changes? You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me. Or if you see the little footnote there, you have answered me. So it could be that Psalm 22 was written after the fact, after he'd gone through those things and been delivered, and he's looking back and saying, you have answered me. I think it's probably more likely that this is an expression of his confidence that God will save him. He is confident that God will indeed answer him. God will indeed save him. Sometimes our cries are met with silence, what seems like silence. For one final time, can we encourage you to keep doing those things that we seem to keep doing the right thing? Keep crying out to God. See, pain in our life intensifies when it feels like God stops talking to you. But the more serious thing is when you stop talking to him. Keep crying out to him. And keep remembering that the book I held up right at the beginning, um, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he's got this lovely little phrase, he says that complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but bridges that lead to God's character and actions. Don't forget the yet. In those complaints, remember, yet you. Remember his character, who he is. Remember what he has done, both to God's people in the past and for you. And that is where we get the confidence to keep boldly crying out for help. As I said, this psalm so clearly points to the suffering of Jesus. And Jesus' suffering is the next point. Jesus' suffering transforms our suffering. In verse 1, we heard that Jesus echoed this cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, in Aramaic, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we read in verse 7, the people wag their heads as they walk past the cross. And in verse 8, it was echoed by the Jewish leaders who called to Jesus, He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. Like verse 15, Jesus' strength was drained and he thirsted. Like verse 16, Jesus' hands and feet were pierced by nails as they nailed him to the cross. Verse 17, Jesus was watched over and gloated over by the Romans. Verse 18, his garments were gambled over by the soldiers. These things paint a picture of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Give us a window into his soul. And how does Jesus' suffering transform our suffering? Let me propose to you three ways. Firstly, it assures us of his love. It assures us of his love. You see, it is, a, it is flawed human thinking to see suffering as an automatic sign of God's displeasure. And yet... Is flawed thinking that does easily creep in. But when we see the suffering that Jesus endured, we see quite how much Jesus loved his people, loves his people. Though I don't want to 
minimize the suffering that anyone is going through. But if we are able to tear our eyes from it and look to Jesus, we see that what he went through was far worse than anything we could endure. He endured mockery and physical abuse, a torturous death, and being forsaken by his God, by his Father. And why? It wasn't for himself. No, it's for us. It was for his people. If you are trusting in him, it is for you, for me. He was forsaken that we would be his Father's delight. He had his Father's loving presence removed so that we would never have to know what that was like. He endured the full weight of the Father's anger so that we would be set free. When we look at Jesus' suffering, we see that he endured far more than we ever would, and we see his love and commitments to his people. And so know that your suffering is not a sign of God's anger, because you are more deeply loved than you could ever, ever know. And if you're doubting that, read, verse, uh, read Psalm 22. Read Psalm 22. See what Jesus endured for you. So Jesus' suffering assures us of his love in our suffering. Secondly, it shows us that he understands. Suffering can be a lonely experience. And we can feel that no one else is going through this. No one is, is with me in this. It is possible to think that even God doesn't know what I'm going through. And it's possible to feel like you're the only one to suffer. But Psalm 22 says no, that David suffered. No, far more Jesus suffered. And again, his suffering was far more than we would know. The fear, the hatred, the pain, the death, the separation that he endured. God in Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He really, really understands when I hear of someone else's suffering, I'm, I'm often not as moved as I should be. And particularly if it is something that I've not experienced myself. But the times when I'm most moved, the most sympathetic, is actually things that I have gone through. Well, it's a bit like this here. God knows what we are going through. Because in his Son... He has experienced ultimate suffering. And having experienced it, he knows and understands. And so when suffering, as we cry out to him, we remember that we are crying out to a God who knows what we're going through. Because he has walked that path. He is able to comfort those who walk that same path too. So Jesus' suffering assures us that when we face pain, it is... It isn't because he doesn't love you and it isn't because he doesn't understand. And then finally, we see that he will turn suffering to praise. He will turn, tough suffering, turn suffering to praise. And this is what we see through the second half of the second section of this psalm. Because from verse 22, the joy spreads and spreads as we move from complaint to praise. 
we see Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, even future generations who are yet unborn, praise. And notice first how how Jesus' companions have changed in verse 22. No longer is he surrounded by these animals who are out to get him. No, verse 22, he's surrounded by his brothers, by the congregation. And see from the, the, the middle of verse 22, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And then as he praises, he calls out for the people to do so too. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Why? What, what leads him to praise and what leads him to encourage others to pray, praise? Why should we praise? Well, firstly, he listens. He heard. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. The psalm starts with it appearing like his cries were met with silence. But actually we know that every one of those cries was heard. And ultimately he was delivered. Now for Jesus... That answer, well, sorry, for David, first of all, that answer came and he was delivered. For Jesus, that answer, answer came from the grave as he was risen to life, that he would praise his Father for all eternity and lead his people to do the same. Our pain might seem insurmountable. It might feel like it's going to last forever. But because of Jesus' suffering... We know that he will lead us through pain, even through death, to resurrection life, to praise him forever. And then he goes on in this, in this cause for praise, this call and cause to praise. In verse uh, 27, he, he widens the scope, and, to, and all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over nations. Again, don't see suffering of yourself or in the world as a sign of God's lost control. No, he rules over everything. And then as we move into that final section, verse 29, we see again that scope widened out to include all types of people, and indeed all those even yet born. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship before him. Worship before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Those who've got everything, those who've got nothing. Posterity, verse 30, will serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, and they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. Seeing the suffering of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection causes us to rejoice and praise. And you see the particular focus of that in verse 31. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness. Jesus' suffering at the cross was the ultimate work of righteousness, of having a way where sinful, rebellious people could be completely forgiven, pardoned in every single one, 
not because it was swept under the carpet, but because it was paid for in the suffering of Jesus. As some commentators and writers think, that there's actually one more time, one more way that this psalm points to the Lord Jesus. Just as Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With his final breath he cried, it is finished. See the final line of this psalm. He has done it. Maybe, maybe not. But Jesus' work, his work of righteousness was finished on the cross. He has done it. Jesus' suffering transforms our suffering because it shows that he has made a people righteous. He has made a people his people who will enjoy him and praise him for all eternity, that he will lead them safe even through death to life and life forever. Just as we finish Sometimes I think we can have these kind of thoughts. You know, my sin doesn't really matter. What does it matter if I say my sin doesn't really matter? Well, look at Psalm 22 and see the seriousness of our sin. But at the same time, sometimes we think our sin is too big. Well, no. Just as we see verse 1, see verse 31 and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for sending of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you. Um, We praise you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth and enduring this unimaginable suffering on your people's behalf. We thank you that you were forsaken so that we would not have to be. Thank you that you were abandoned that we would be family. We thank you that death is not the end for you, and we praise you that you rose again, and now you lead your people in praise and will for all eternity. Please would we cling to that in those times of pain and suffering ourselves. We ask for your Spirit's work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.